Hi, welcome to Articulate. My name is Divya. Today I am pleased to have the amazing Laura Wilson as my guest on the podcast. Laura is interested in how history is carried through millennia through everyday materials, trades and craftsmanship. She works with specialists to develop sculptural and performative works that amplify the relationship between materiality, memory and knowledge. Laura's practice sits in the enviable position between archaeology, anthropology and history. Her interdisciplinary and research-based works have been exhibited widely across the UK and abroad. Laura's project, Trained on Veda, was initiated during her residency at the Delphina Foundation in 2016 and currently is being developed in partnership with the Arts Council England. Laura has recently been awarded the Jerwood New Work Fund and A-Anniversary for New Work in 2021 and has a forthcoming commission with Mansions of the Future and the collection which is an archaeological museum in Lincoln. So welcome Laura, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. It was really really thrilling to see your message when you agreed that you would be a guest and um, nice to see you again uh, since the last time we met. How have you been? Very busy I know but um, how have you been? For the oh, purposes thank of you the so podcast? much for having me, um, inviting me to be on your podcast, it's brilliant. Um, I've been really good, really well, what about you? Oh yeah, um, thanks to the podcast I've been in connection with uh, Lots of people like uh, yourself on on the internet, and that's kept me busy. <laughs> so, yeah. So I usually um start off the podcast by making our my guests talk about themselves, their childhoods, how the influences through their childhoods to become an artist. What made you even think of becoming an artist in the first place? Have you had role models in the family, or are you the first person to be an artist? Um, so I I'm, I grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland, yeah. um, and I think uh, when I was little, I um, there was two things that I wanted to be, maybe three. Um, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Right. Um, I also wanted to be a brain surgeon, and I wanted to be an artist. And um, you could have been all three, according all to me. <laughs> and. Um, I suppose, though, I really, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to live somewhere else and, and come to a bigger city. Um, and, to, and when I, visit, I visited London whenever I was about 14, and I was like, this is where I want to live. Um, and whenever I was growing up, I was really fortunate that my, um, I suppose in terms of role models, there weren't any, I guess my dad and, and my mum my always encouraged me to be creative and, and draw. Um, neither of them, though, have a career, um, or anyone in my family have a career that I know of as an artist. Um, but in terms of role models, my um, art teacher at uh, secondary school was really, really supportive and um, I think quite forward thinking in terms of like thinking outside the curriculum, particularly for that time. She was always like bringing in books of exhibitions that she saw right. in different places when she travelled. And um, I find that really, really inspiring. And actually, it's, I'm still in touch with her today. We write letters to each other. Yeah. Um, and she um, knew that I wanted to, you know, go and study in London and help me write an application to art school. Um, and I remember sitting in the art department kind of with her writing my 
art statement and um, flying to London for my interview. And that was such a big deal, you know, like yeah. I lugging this huge portfolio to come and have my interview. And um, yes, I suppose that was that was kind of the, the, the yeah my kind of dream was to, was to get there. And um, I went to St St Martin's and, and studied foundation there, and then continued on uh, to do my BA in fine art. Um, but I suppose in terms of my early aspirations, um, I've been lucky to combine some of my other kind of interests, so archaeology and also, I suppose, scientific. So I've been through my work, being able to work with scientists and stuff as well. Um, but also as a child, watching a lot of um, art programs on TV as well, I think that had a big part in my interest in wanting to do something else like, like yeah. art. I know I find your art practice after after I researched for this program it's so unique I haven't I don't think anybody else has kind of been able to incorporate the kind of um, uh, scientific bits like archaeology and anthropology in the work like you have but in St Martin's you did you have any specialization did you um, or was it like generic you could do anything or did you do sculpture I thought you were you were more into sculpture wasn't it in your practice yeah yeah, so um, in uh, so I did my foundation, and obviously in that you get to specialise in lots of different things. Um, and then when I did my BA, I did fine art, but I was in the sculpture pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm it's interesting because thinking back when I was in my first year and kind of applying for that, I really wanted to be in four D and make. Um, uh kind of which was more kind of i don't know i think i didn't really know what 4d was but it was basically video and, and performance and actually and whilst i i am i wanted to be in that i'm really glad actually that i studied sculpture because i think it's really kind of had a it, it's, it's it's how i kind of think about the world i mean you know i don't traditionally make sculpture but i do think a lot about things in space and or an audience and your relationship in terms of your body to a work. So whilst yeah. I maybe work across, you know, performance and sculpture and um, quite developed research projects, I think that um, has had quite a big impact on the way that I think about my work. Oh, amazing. So you moved to London, um, this was, was it in 2002, was it? Um, yeah, 2002, yeah. And you've said that your practice is influenced by the history you see around London. So do you ever um, uh, think about the political history of, you know, Ireland and England and and consider your your practice in that way? Or is it more anthropological? Is it more like during the medieval times? Because uh, isn't it you, um, when we go further along this conversation, we know that it's more about, you know, digging deeper and 4,000 year old bronze objects and stuff so do you even consider like recent history or is it more about um how ancient people moved and lived <laughs> i don't know it's is that a question yeah that's a really great question and i think i i i'm really inspired by history and i think that you know you can't ignore history mm. um because it's something that's kind of in us and around us and in architecture um and in the in the landscape um in terms of 
I suppose like a recent history of Northern Ireland and, and the UK, it isn't something that I directly, you know, kind of go for to try and convey through my work, I suppose. Um, you know, it's something that I'm always, you know, aware of and particularly having grown up in Northern Ireland, it's something that was around me all the time. Yeah. Um, but I suppose I'm really interested in, I suppose the passing on of knowledge and that how that is done so, how that it can be done through people and how, how knowledge is transferred through time. Okay. Um, so be that, you know, four or five thousand years ago in the Bronze Age or kind of, as you say, more recent history. So um, I've been working in the last two to three years um, researching for a commission um, called New Geographies, where I've been researching this um, archaeological site, um, which was a Bronze Age settlement that went on fire and then collapsed into the ground. And um, what's really, the, the, the archaeological site is kind of so unique because they were able to find traces of the people that once lived there in terms of the objects that were found. So often on a Bronze Age settlement, they don't really find a lot of things intact. So there was even kind of a bowl with a spoon in it, with some food in it. Wow. And I suppose that, I suppose the things that I'm kind of trying to encapsulate through my work is that almost collapse of time, like, and, you know, the fact that it's still people that are inhabiting those, those places just in different ways. Sometimes the gestures are the same and sometimes the gestures are, are a bit different. Um, but with that work, I was working with um, an archaeologist, but also working with a brick quarry, um, which is where this site was found. And um, so it was also about bringing these two kind of how the archaeologists work on this site today and the brick quarry workers work on the site today as well. And they work in this kind of amazing symbiotic um, they have this amazing symbiotic relationship in terms of how they dig and work the land. Um, yeah. So I'm not really sure if I've answered your question entirely, but... Yeah, um, I mean, I would have come to that. I'm, I'm going to speak about the that amazing project in detail later on because it has so much to it that you can uh, go into. But I want to go like step by linear, step by step from your, sure. <laughs> your career. So um, sure. that even that project initially when you... Um, uh, took a brick from uh, you know yeah. Belgium and brought it back to uh, when Central Saint Martin the new um, building was being built. That was yeah. uh, such a such yeah. a like a, the gesture itself is so like poignant and and it it links now with this crazy Brexit business. Mm. That itself is such an amazing gesture when you are talking about the unity of peoples and Europe being you know the same mm. kind of culture almost so how did you get that idea when you were like literally so this was what 10 years ago right yeah so it was um actually I started working on that project in um 2007 so um I uh so when I graduated so I graduated from Central St Martin's in 2006 right and um I was invited to participate in this exhibition in Belgium in 2007 that was curated um, by two Belgian curators 
who had been fascinated by um, the locked room, which, have you ever heard of the locked room? No. <laughs> okay, so, it's, so the locked room is this um, kind of, I think it was a couple of years in the 70s or eight, uh, 70s in Central St. Martins, and um, the tutors um, locked their students in a room for um, like a, a day, um, and they would only give them one material, and it was to kind of see what what they could do. What are the limits of the material, or the kind of what things? And there were certain rules that were kind of set out. So I suppose it's like putting boundaries in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, so the curators had been reading about this, and they were particularly interested in um, inviting graduates who had worked uh, and studied in that building so I went to St Martin's when it used to be on Charing Cross Road um, in Soho and that was like which was an amazing place to study as a student because you know Soho was my stomping ground and um, all those little streets and pubs and you know um, I have amazing memories from from being a student there but um, when I was invited to be part of that exhibition was it a competition that you had to take part in that you won I was, I think they put, it wasn't really a competition, I was put forward um, amongst a couple of other other graduates and um, the curators, I guess our work was selected from, from that in Amazing. a curatorial sense. Um, so it was me and uh, a couple of other uh, people that I'd studied with. And the exhibition was due to take place on this archaeological site in Belgium, in Enama, which is in Flanders. Right. And um, so the archaeological site was um, this Benedictine Abbey, um, 17th century Benedictine Abbey. And before I went, I started to, I mean, I was really fascinated by the fact that it was an archaeological site. But I suppose also I did so much research about this site before I went over and found out that the um, Benedictine Abbey was demolished in the 1800s and the bricks were sold off as building materials. And I became really interested in thinking about that fact that, you know, a material or brick has within it so much history and so much information. It has seen so much. Oh my God. um, Yeah. And, you know, and they're also very very, um, human in scale. And, you know, it's that thing. I mean, I've often walked around times or, you know, picked up a brick and I've got one in my handbag. But um, so I um, took, uh, uh, I went to St. Martin's. It was during the, the summer break and they were demolishing um, a wall on the sixth floor in um, the Charing Cross building. And that building is also, you know, where the Sex Pistols had their first gig. Yeah. Um, but Bill and George went there. You know, it's kind of, I guess it's Quite in iconic. a lot of historical photographs from St. Martin's. And um, so I took a brick from um, one of the studio walls and took that with me to Belgium. And that became the foundation stone for a structure that I built on top of the foundations of the um, archaeological site. Wow. Um, and I worked very closely with the archaeologists there, but also local bricklayers. Um, and local brick experts to come up with a mortar that I could use to build on top of this that wouldn't damage the archaeological site. And actually the bricks that I used to build the structure were also bricks that they have on site to, you know, do um, repair work on the archaeological site. So I made this structure that was as tall as we could physically make it without using scaffolding. 
and um, it was built on top of uh, a square uh, sort of foundation um, uh, and it was up for the duration of the exhibition and on the opening I exchanged my brick from London with a brick a 17th century brick from the Benedictine Abbey Wow. Um, and I, that was kind of done through a contract with the mayor of the town and the curator of the museum. And I then brought that brick, the 17th century brick, back to London. And then over the next three or four years, um, worked with Central St. Martins, but also um, the architects and their building developers to incorporate the brick for Belgium into the new brick building at King's Cross, which is now where St. Martin's is. Um, so yeah, and then there's another contract written with them, and both of those contracts are now in the um, archive. Um, amazing, amazing. So um, was this all like, how was it documented? Was it all made into a film, or was it like um, a series of pictures? How, how do you even bring the, those um, images or the work back? To if somebody currently wants to see it or access it? So I suppose with that work, um, all that remains are really photographs that I took. Um, so of the you know installation photographs of the sculpture in Belgium, uh, um, there's the brick in Central St. Martin's, right. um, which you can see it in, it's in a wall. I think it's in their like wood workshop um amazing so if you're ever in the building you can go and find it um and then there's the two contracts which are in the archive and that's um and then obviously kind of i guess by being told the story by me but um yeah that's kind of how the work would be viewed at the moment so uh would, would like now when i know i wanted to talk to you about the joe funding and your project with um new geographies so would your art practice come under the uh, term land art or would you say that it's uh, it's something different um i don't really know i think in terms of land art i mean i suppose i really there's that's such a huge um a huge, uh, is it a movement or what's the word like you know Type it's got work. its own genre. Yeah. Absolutely love like you know Nancy Holt and Robert Swithson and um you know I, I suppose those works really inspire me and, and the fact that you know landscape is something that is kind of there all the time. Yeah. Um, particularly I suppose I was thinking a lot about those works whenever I was in the landscape developing the commission for new geographies. Um. And particularly, I suppose particularly because of the landscape of that east of England and it's so flat but then so deep. Um, I suppose, yeah, the things that I think about all the time, I'm not, I don't know if I, yeah, it'd be quite exciting to be part of that. But um, yeah, I don't know if I've quite figured that out yet. <laughs> <laughs> because that wonderful essay that was uh, written about your work, I forget the author right now. But I think she mentioned it as part of the genre of land art. I was wondering, yeah, that's interesting when you talk about, think about it that way. So, um, congratulations on yeah, the, in the art agenda. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on your uh, Instagram. Very nice. Yeah, there's some amazing, like, yeah, amazing references and things that she, um, yeah. 
So, uh, would you mind telling us about your Jerwood project and what it is about and um, how did you go about even uh, conceiving this whole, you know, must, is it part of the must farm project or is that different? It's different. Um, See, the thing is, there's so many things happening that it's like hard to keep track. I think that's the thing. I kind of work, it's interesting, I end up kind of working on a different things in parallel and often they kind of meet in really kind of odd ways or they don't but um so actually well seeing as you've asked me about um the jarwood so the jarwood um have uh, awarded me a um commission or kind of awarded me some funding to develop um a proposal which i had been wanting to make for a little while um, so there, um, I'm going to be making a new work called Gutting, which is investigating digestion um, and what goes on inside our stomachs. Amazing. And um, but that work is, or that proposal um, is, is kind of developed out of a body of work which I've also been working on for a number of years, um, called Trained on Veda. Yeah. Oh, it's um, Veda. I keep calling it Veda, like the Indian It's Veda, okay. Well, interesting you say the Indian Veda, because I do think that the word is sort of connected somehow. It must be. Um, <laughs> but uh, shall, I expect, do, shall I explain a little bit? About yes, yes, Veda? please. Yeah, yeah, helpful? absolutely. And then I can kind of... Yeah, exactly. So, um, so Trina Veda um, was something that I developed during my residency at Delfina Foundation in 2016. Right. Um, where to research this particular type of bread called Veda bread, which is from Northern Ireland, so where I grew up. Um, I grew sprouts. up eating it. I mean, it, how healthy is it, that? It's it's so good, honestly. So it's a dark brown malted loaf, um, and it's a little bit squidgy whenever you sort of toast it, and or not, it's it's delicious. And um, whenever I was growing up, it was always allegedly made to this secret recipe and I was kind of wanted I was quite curious I suppose I wanted to figure out you know how secret is a recipe um and so I started doing a bit of research and I made contact with um this guy up in Scotland whose name is James Kerr and I phoned him and I was like could I come and speak to you so allegedly he he had an archive of Vida Bread as well as secret recipes. And um, so I went up and I met him and I met his wife and um, we talked about my practice and my interest. And at that point, I started also working with a baker um, just outside London um, on a kind of other other project. But um, so I be, had been kind of starting to work with bakers and was telling him about that and he was kind of oh well you know if you're interested in ever making this or, or you know get in touch so when I did the residency with Delphina I phoned him and I was like you know I, I would really like to investigate this more and he um said to me oh well you know I'm, I'm not sure that I want to have all this archive anymore um and I so by the end of the phone call I had kind of said I would take it on from him and look after it 
So I became the keeper of this archive, but also um, the director of a dormant company called I know. Media Maker Limited. Amazing, what an idea and a half. Good. So I've been, I suppose, investigating what that means over the last couple of years, but through Trained on Vida, I've been working with Mark Darvall, who's a baker just outside London. Um, and we've been researching the kind of old recipes of the bread and made a version of the bread which um, we're now sharing our recipe with bakeries and galleries around the country. I see. So that it's a way of, so the, I'm not sure if I mentioned, but Vida bread, in terms of its history, um, so what I discovered through the project, it was discovered, or discovered, if you can discover bread, um, in 1900, um, and it became by this guy called Robert Graham, and it became popular all across the UK, and it had um, bakeries in all the major cities. Yeah, I read about that, yeah. Uh, which is just kind of amazing that, some, you know, I, I feel like he's quite an exciting kind of eccentric guy, but he, um, for some reason, um, I think it's also World War Two with rationing and things like that. It stopped being made in mainland UK, and it's only made in Northern Ireland. And also, I think you said Industrial Revolution when they wanted stuff to be made quite quicker. And yeah. Yeah, trolley wood, the trolley wood process. So, um, so yes, I've been kind of um, researching that bread, and then so through that project, um, as part of the research, I came across. That the, in the early 1900s, because the bread was very, very good for your digestion, yeah, um, it was prescribed by doctors to have it um, to make your diet better, to cure um, certain diseases um, to do with digestion, so like gout or if you have too much acid um, in your stomach, um, and which and it kind of marries up really well with a kind of interest in. I suppose more broader interest in people being more interested in their bodies and the health and healthy eating and like where does food come from and that up to the kind of early 1920s there was a kind of shift in the way that people were thinking about food yeah. and I think and for me I suppose that's I think a lot about how that's happening again now um how people are kind of returning to healthy bread or sourdough cultures or like where's your wheat coming from and and all, uh, um, so, having all these uh, cultures, like as if they're a pet, <laughs> you know, my neighbor gives me <laughs> yogurt to, you know, keep when she goes on holiday and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Keeper, she got the... Uh, Keeper, yeah. Months, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I suppose that's... So through this new commit, uh, new kind of work that I'm making with, with the Jarwood New Work Fund, that's, that's kind of... I want to look at this idea of digestion and food much more broadly thinking about that also in terms of yeah i suppose i has looking at it historically but also thinking about what's happening now so i suppose it's kind of bringing those two things together through some kind of historic lens i wish i'd known about this because um one of my projects i was researching on the spine and that's when I came across this amazing, I'll, I'll send it to you after the podcast, but it's an amazing um, quote about how the digestive system from the mouth to the, the last bit, you know, is like a snake and which 
if it releases if it's released into the body it can poison the body but actually that's the one which protects the body and nourishes the body but then it has to be within the content the contains of the system otherwise it's a poison for the body then so i don't know i'll send you the quote afterwards but i think it's quite relevant for you oh yeah no please do send it to me that would be fantastic i suppose I, yeah my research is really ongoing and at the minute i'm gathering kind of information and then um i'm also working with a script writer to um develop uh some kind of script for the work so please so, so hopefully that will be later this year um i'll be able to realize that depending on lockdown and all of the other things i know gosh so you i literally you can't pin down what your work you know you can't say this is about this it's like a combination of so many things it's politics it's materials it's histories it's uh, uh processes and it's recipes Oh my god it's like amazing really nice so you end up working with so many different kinds of experts also isn't it yeah yeah so oh gosh where do i start then um what about the um i mean the legal the legal paperwork and stuff like that how do you manage to um weave through all the 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 logistics of working with different kinds of people and like you had to buy the company and you could you had to get permission for going to belgium and taking the break yeah. and the contract so how do you do it like single handedly do you have a team of people with you working with you or do you have an agent or do you just um manage to do it yourself or how do you how do you even uh, i mean and you have so many other things to think about and these are all yeah. like the administrative bits so how how do you research for that I mean I know it's like a a site but then it's so important to um understand how you Yeah, I think it's important and I think as an artist there's lots of different responsibilities that you need to take on. Um I mean a lot of things I I do myself or I've kind of learned through doing them I suppose different ways or you know that different so there's you know you learn from one thing and then you transfer that skill and knowledge onto another one. Um I've been I suppose with the brick exchange one that was something that I I did myself. Um it I I was a and with the support of the curators that I was working with. Um because they enabled me to meet the mayor and then for that to kind of happen and then I was supported on the other end um through curate, you know through a curator that I um at St Martin's so yeah, I was working with right, that right. kind of helped yeah. that kind of and you know the introduction to the building people and then all of those kind of logistics I suppose um so a lot of emailing involved a lot of conversations <laughs> um and I suppose also a lot of kind of obstacles that you have to overcome but I suppose that's the same in any any job mm. it's um, just that you have to have the idea as to what in the beginning you have to have the idea of 10 steps ahead in order to understand what who to contact that you can't just okay. let it evolve and then realize oh i haven't got this that's going to like set you back by a few months or a few weeks isn't it yeah and i think you know when i'm working there's always something that kind of comes up and you have and it, you can never sometimes you cannot really expect it or anticipate it i'm just as one example i did um in 2018 I did a performance at the British Museum 
um and it was so that was a commission with block universe and in response to the rodan exhibition that was on at the time right um and so i had six performers which were moving around the space um of the great hall but also in the um greek gallery so they kind of moved across both those spaces and um so when we were uh rehearsing so we were, had to rehearse really really early in the morning and there's any specific days we could do and you know we only had about 40 minutes or an hour in the piece place to rehearse for a four-hour work wow um, amazing so it was quite um time like it was quite interesting kind of you had to probably improvise the rest of the time so it's kind of like yeah i suppose it's, it's sort of like working working that out but one of um quite close to the performance one of the curators that i wasn't working with who was in charge of the um greek galleries um caught wind that we were walking around the um greek galleries with bread dough which is what the performers were kind of walking with oh, yeah. and um they were a bit concerned that you know the performers were going to that the bread dough was going to interact with the sculpture with, with you know their artifacts in the, in the museum and obviously they were nowhere near it at all and you know they're kind of as um and you know the, the bread dough was going to go nowhere near any of those artifacts but it was their kind of automatic reaction was like no it's not going to happen in those spaces um and you know if that had been the case then and we weren't able to do it at all then that's fine but actually you know, I was really well supported by the curators and um, they, and also with Block Universe, and they worked with me to kind of write a risk assessment that would mean that it'd be kind of, yeah, it, we would reassure them that it would all be fine. So in terms of like legalities also of risk assessments is something that I have to kind of also deal What about with. insurance? Um, Don't you have to pay sky high insurance for working in such places? The insurance for that was, I think it was already covered by the British Museum. Yeah. Oh, I think, anyway, yeah. <laughs> but all of those things had to be, you know, and Block Universe has insurance, I think, as well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. I have to, because I'm also working with all of that, and I have my own insurance as well. Um, so basically you, ha- basically, you have to be really personable, <laughs> and you have to have the right people skills also to get people to, you know, listen to you and agree to your requests i suppose so um like yeah there's so much yeah there's so much to ask you actually so um yeah how were the must farms that's also so interesting about you know like you were saying about the four thousand year old artifacts Um, that you dug and then you had a connection with cambridge when you were yeah so uh why don't you tell us about that (laughs) So, yes, I've been working over the last two years um, researching Must Farm, which I mentioned earlier, which is this Bronze Age settlement. Um, and I have I've recently just made um, two pieces of work as a result of the research. So I was really on site researching with the archaeologists and the brick quarry workers. Um, and I made a uh, a performance which is called Deep Deep and Deepening mm. and that was presented in October last year in the quarry with 12 um, independent dance artists 
all amazing performers that I have some of them I've worked with before on other works and then some of them were new, were kind of connections from them that I had met and this is the first time I was working with them um so that performance was realized in the in the quarry itself with quite a small audience um and I filmed it and then um, that became um the kind of starting point for a film work called Deepening which um, included some footage from the performance as well as new footage which I filmed in the museum um, as well as kind of research footage that I um, kind of took along the way through my research. So um, so this turned out to be more a performance uh, or is it, is it a collaboration with uh, because I remember the Norwe- uh, the the museum in Norwich, which you had um, exhibited the bronze um, artifacts from. Yeah. Cape. So is that connected with this one? It is. So the film itself was presented in Norwich Castle Gallery. Okay. And um, it was actually unfortunately it closed a bit early because of um coronavirus okay so it was due to close at the end of march and then close a little bit early but the film was presented in their archaeological galleries um along with uh 12 uh, of the vessels which have been excavated from mustard farm and then also these kind of um tools for performance so they're kind of, i don't know if you can see the yeah, hods in yeah. the background and um, so the performers each have one of these hods and um so i've displayed those in the gallery um as well as a bench which is a kind is a kind of uh similar to the bench that people who attended the performance would have watched the film so the bench is built with um bricks from the site as well wow it's so so complex this whole um that itself is a whole performance the building of the uh, benches and uh, uh weaving of all these different um aspects of your work <laughs> isn't it um and then yeah so about making of objects i i know i know you said in the beginning that you um you did sculpture and your work your practice is more performance based and more um, uh, 4D but do you ever think about making objects for the sake of it for just you know you, you even experiment with material just do uh, you know sculptural gestures yeah. and stuff well I suppose I mean um, I did so I in my exhibition that I did at space in 2017 um, I made uh, I was really I was kind of had been doing lots of performances with um, working with the performers, but also with dough. And I was looking a lot at drapery because this idea that when the dough is draped over the performer's shoulders, it really feels like it could be fabric, or, but it keeps on moving, you know, the dough keeps on moving. And um, I wanted to find a way to sort of find it. And so for my um, show, I worked with two stonemasons right. to carve a, a lump of um, bread dough, which was draped over an armature. Amazing. Into, the, into, um, into stone, into sandstone. So over, I mean, it was, I guess it's kind of performative, but in a, our, every Saturday we um, carve together 
and um, yeah, carved this sort of like big stone sculpture, which is just sitting behind me. Um, and yeah. so I suppose in terms of that, the sort of object that, that remains from, from that, um, I suppose I also think about the costumes after the performance as something, you know, those are sort of objects. But in terms of specifically, if I make things in the studio, I do a lot of drawing. Um, I'm I've also last year, um, which I need to go back to the foundry, but I've been making some little bronze casts. Uh-huh. Of, um, so I've been working a little bit in bronze, but they're still a bit, they're unfinished. I need to go back and finish them. There's a resonance, um, isn't it? Working with bronze and, uh, you know, of the old, how they used to work with bronze in, the, in those days. So I think there is some kind of link which you can see. Exactly. I think for me as well, it's like the process. I was quite interested in finding out about the material. I'm really interested in that kind of, you know, just learning things with your hands and, and figuring out what that is. But um, So would you yeah. say that... I'm just kind of tinkering around in the studio, but I don't... Um, a lot of the work that I make is obviously a lot more kind of well, over a longer period of time. And it's quite strategic, isn't it? It's all about ideas and how you link yeah. ideas so um so would you say that your work is more performative or because you work a lot with uh, food now with dough and you're trying to link histories of dough and um make performances related to how you need dough so how would you um how would you say your future work i know you're talking about um, oh. the digestion and all that but then i mean Will, would would dough be part of your regular repertoire of work when you go going forward from here? I think um, it's not something that I'm. I mean, it's obviously something that is in the back of my mind and part of stuff that I've of work that I've made, but it isn't currently something that I. I suppose what I mean is is that. I always find because I'm working on lots of different things at the same time that things do overlap. I guess I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose whilst I might be actively not making any kind of like dough performance, I'm interested in it as a material. So I suppose in what it is, in the fact that it's organic and it's alive, and I always think about it as this kind of ecosystem where everything is kind of moving and alive and interacting with one another so the yeast cell yeast cells are kind of there there's bacteria in there and it i kind of and they all live in colonies so in a way i sort of think about it on a kind of macro scale as a kind of you know as as kind of bodies or things kind of moving wow um and in terms you mentioned food i suppose um in things that i'm doing at the minute so i'm um, working with a uh, well, with a Turkish chef um, on a new commission for the Istanbul Design Biennale. Yeah. Um, and we're, we are actually making a recipe. We've collaborated on a recipe, which is taking vita bread as a starting point to um, make a kind of Turkish bread sauce, which is going um, to complement a kind of a dish. Um, which is, is is hake a hake fish and we've cooked that together. Um, to suppose that's something that I'm currently working on. I'm editing the video at the minute in the studio, um, but also something that's ongoing as well. And I've been working on it through lockdown. To is a commission with 
um, mansions of the future and um, who are based in Lincoln, they're a commissioning organisation, um, and they have co-commissioned me with the collection, which is um, part of the Archaeological Museum in Lincoln. And the commissions invited me to respond to their collection. Um, and for that work, I've been really um, researching, because it shares a relationship in terms of, I mean, you mentioned, like, land and, and geography and I suppose those things I'm always kind of thinking about but it it shares a landscape in a way with Must Farm which is where I've been working in that it's you know part of the Fenlands it's flat um, and they also did the, the Fenland survey which was um, part of this archaeological dig um, because the kind of um, findings from that are in the museum and as part of that collection, they find a lot of um, uh, this thing. It's called bricotage, which is um, they they use that in in salt in mining for salt. Mm. And so I'm doing a lot of research at the minute with um, like researching basically salt and salt mining through history in the in the Lincolnshire area. Um, so I'm going to be making Wonderful. a new work. Uh, hopefully later in the year. Not really sure exactly what, what form it's going to take at the minute, but um, yeah. Amazing. I mean, it's like mind-boggling that from you go from one thing to another <laughs> so seamlessly. I mean, you, I'm sure even um, you must be amazed how, how things lead from one thing to another, and then it opens up into other ideas, isn't it? So um, this is a good time to talk about how you go about um, uh, applying for funding applications and you know um, going for do you, do you present proposals to these organizations or do they come out with uh, open calls that you respond to how do you even uh, know about them and because they they should align with your interests isn't it so how do you know which organization aligns with what you are interested in doing or do you kind of um, uh, tweak your work to suit the organization how, how does it work I mean how do you even look for work which is similar to your interests and um, what you've done before I mean there are links between your previous works and your future work so is yeah. there a uh, do they make give commissioned work based on your previous work is that how it works I think yeah it is a combination I think um so mainly a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last few years has been on commissions so yeah as you mentioned it's kind of work that curators have maybe seen and then invited me to respond to something Laura um there's another question which I really wanted to check with you is about um, what do you enjoy most? I know that we spoke about your research involves so many different things, like it, it flows so seamlessly at the same time, uh, it, it touches on different, uh, completely different aspects of, um, of um, like geography, food, um, archaeology, uh, history. So what is it that you really enjoy in your work? Is it the interaction with experts in the field or is it the performances that come out of it at the end? Or is it actually the fact that in your head you're able to see the merging of these concepts um, together when you're um, conceptualizing how the project will go ahead? How, what is it that really um, interests you in, in, in the kind of work that you do? 
That's a really good question. Uh, um, I I think it's maybe a mixture of all of those things. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, I love working with people and I love learning new things and exchanging conversation um, and challenging myself. I suppose putting myself in an uncomfortable situation sometimes. Um, and, Why is that? Because ultimately it's, it's wow. that kind of mm. yeah exchange of information and sharing um, with people and you mentioned like that kind of thing where you kind of everything comes together I think that's it's what that point is really it's a really bit hard bit to describe whenever you because I, I sort of feel like sometimes I'm working on things for such a long time um, and then it's like getting to that point where you're like oh yeah that's that makes sense. That's the that's why that fits there, and it's not often something that I know beforehand at all at the beginning. Or so in a way, I'm maybe guided by instinct a little bit, um, or or kind of also maybe by coincidence a tiny bit as well. You know, sometimes it's like one part. You know, how pe- human interaction and how those and relationships, I suppose, and how those things kind of connect or connect up and can go across even across projects yeah so is your work uh, in any way didactic do you kind of bring out like lessons from it or do you even have some some kind of theories that you can come out with or is it just you kind of uh, think of new ways of looking at uh, history and archaeology or is there a lesson that people can learn from it I think everyone will probably bring I think the thing that excites me is that when a work is made, different people will bring different things to your work. And, you know, they'll bring their own experiences and relate it to different ways. And I think that's quite exciting. Um, obviously, there's kind of reasons behind and, uh, the, why I've made work or just certain decisions that I've made along the way. Um, but I suppose ultimately, when it's, it's made and it's out there, that's... So yeah. you want people it's to an audience, yeah, audience interaction, um, and you want. But yeah, it, ultimately, I'm interested in making people think about things in a slightly different way, um, exactly. and looking at the world around them, and yeah, maybe realizing things that they haven't really thought about. Or, Amazing. Yeah. That's exactly what we we all want as artists, but you know, it doesn't <laughs> work all the time. So. Um, what have what are your plans after lockdown? I know that you spoke about the um the mansion um the new projects with the archaeological museum in Lincoln. So yes. um, what else? I mean, apart from that, do you have anything else planned? And could you say a little more about the uh, the project? I mean, I forget what it's called. The mansions of the future and the collection. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Mansions of the Future and the collection. I'm researching um, salt and salt production. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Sure. Right. Um, I'm working with an archaeologist as well on that work. Um, to research that, and also some local people in Lincoln. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, also I'm doing this kind of. It's for the Istanbul Design Biennale, um, but I'm working with a Turkish chef. And we've come up with this collaborative recipe, which is going to form part of a kind of... um, I'm thinking of it as a kind of 
artist talk slash cooking show slash talk. She seems really interesting. Kind yeah. of um, excerpts of my work as well. So, but that is going to be um, for their online program called Cooking Show. Uh, critical cooking show and during the Biennale they're releasing episodes weekly so I'm going to be kind of part of, of that but um, but yeah I'm editing that at the minute um, and then obviously I'm also going to be developing the research for the Jarwood for the Jarwood New Work Fund so for that piece gutting um, and then I've also been uh, working on another sort of ongoing work um, over the last few months and it's been going on through lockdown um, as well with a engineer called Dr. Ali Cosgrave um, and it's a project with UCL um, and she, she's based at UCL but we've been researching together how people move around the city um, and that was something that we had been working on together at the early part of the year and then obviously lockdown happened so we weren't able to move around the city so we've been um writing to each other during lockdown and exchanging kind of yeah thoughts and words and photographs and so at the minute we're kind of also thinking about what that how that's going to come together as well so um that's yeah i've got lots of bits and bobs keeping me busy at the minute I wanted to tell you about, I'm reading this book. It's so interesting and you will love it because of this. It's called Feminist City by Leslie Kern. It's about how Ooh. cities are built I'm for... Have that Feminist City by Leslie Kern. And it's about how cities are built for men and women are kind of uh, as an uh, afterthought. Right. Yeah. So, oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, in particular, we've been talking a lot about that and that's how women... Um, move around the city and um, yeah it's quite interesting Ellie has been talking a lot about these steps which are near Euston station and um, you know they read the steps but then they haven't thought about people with buggies getting up and down those steps or exactly indeed wheelchair users or um, anything like that and the second anyway. one I wanted to tell very you interesting. yeah the second thing I wanted to tell you was about this new um, exhibition called Recipes for Resistance. Have you heard of that? No. Yeah, it's, it's about uh, these four um, South Asian artists that come up with Oh, cool. Where is it? I think it's in um, Birmingham. Okay, And cool. it's supposed to happen during the lockdown, but then it's going to be postponed. Great. All right, I'm going to look that up as well. So anyway, I've taken a lot of your time and uh, it's been amazing speaking with you Laura and you have it's like you're bubbling with ideas it's like you, you can't contain your own ideas <laughs> it's amazing and it's so good that uh, you are able to sustain with all of funding and everything managing to work full-time as an artist and uh, I know we don't have literally don't have time to talk about how you do that and most of most other artists you know have day jobs and stuff like that so but that's for another time maybe to talk about uh, <laughs> how you do that but um, thank you so much again and it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you it's been so great speaking to you and like thank you again for um, inviting me onto your podcast and um, I hope what I said wasn't too confusing
No, it's uh, yeah. I right. hope it, this this uh, podcast will make people go and you know read up on your uh, look out for you, follow you, and uh, follow your career. Actually, like I'm I'm doing. All the best. Thank you. Take care.